After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everyone. It's Mind Rolling, and we're back for another edition. And I'm super happy to welcome Apuria Montazeri. Apuria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So um, we're going to do, we're going to talk about Rumi. And I think that of all of the Sufi poets, and there is a ton of them because, oh, by the way, Puria, do you know Omid Safi? Yes, I do. Uh, mm-hmm. And do you know he has a podcast on Be Here Now Network? I sure do. <laughs> I love him. He is so great. So do I. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think most people, uh, if, out of any of the Sufis, uh, Rumi would probably be right at the top of the list. And uh, so want to hear a little bit about your background with Rumi. Because it's been many, many years. And, and, uh, and rather than me reading something, you know, and also a little bit about how it is that you came to it. You know, what were the triggers inside you that that you even had the idea of being introduced to something that could help transform your life, just the interest in it, What uh, when you were a younger person. Right. It started at a tender age where one of the first memories is this being in touch with the burning desire, the burning longing for God inside of me ever since I was a child. Oh, really? what did that look like though i mean what uh, what mm. kinds of um, uh, actions happened at that stage where you actually became conscious i mean how old were you and uh, we're talking about as early as four five where i was really attracted i wasn't born in a religious or a spiritual family but i was always very attracted to religious ceremonies and gatherings and having had the most amazing mother anyone could ever have she would always provide ways for me to find my way in those ceremonies or in those gatherings and I know that every time I'd be there I was at home um I wasn't interested in kids my age. I wasn't interested in doing the things they were doing. 
Uh, I was interested in, you know, speaking with people who were 10, 15, 20 years older than I was. And um, being Persian and having been born and raised in Iran, uh, to be familiar with Rumi and Hafez in a culture where uh, the language is so poetic and people speak in poetry. So in a way, one can say one was born into that kind of a world where Sufi spiritual poetry was just around. Obviously, I had no idea at the time what I was reciting. And um, it took many years to even understand it on the surface level. And I'm still working at it uh, because as we will uh, speak to it, these are not poems. There's sacred verses. There are roadmaps for the heart that only when taken and marinated inside of one's heart and put into action, perhaps maybe then we know what someone 800 years ago said. And so my childhood was about longing. Um, I would I loved solitude. I loved being in nature in my grandparents' uh, huge garden, get lost. And there was a lot of internal dialogue with God. <laughs> but at the time, I wouldn't call it internal di dialogue. Looking back, um, I'm naming it. It was this natural communication and a natural friendship and natural love with um, someone that luckily did not have an anthropomorphic, I did not have an anthropomorphic view. I can't explain it because the culture and the language supports one not to create an anthropomorphic view of some some something out there. Uh, so that was the taste of my childhood. So in the important words for me are you start with mother, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I say this often on the podcast, but we always talk about how his holiness talks about the savior for us is our mothers and instilling compassion and being compassionate. Mm -hmm. And then the next word that struck me is home. You were really at home with these uh, teachings, even at this very young age, not knowing anything. They just resounded in you. So there was a home. And then just now talking about uh, the tradition of, of, of this, which is central word would be longing, right? I mean, yes. so just the universe, universality of it all is that these are exactly the words I would have used uh, to tell you about my own transformation and interest and how these things just percolated. And, and of course, meeting, in my case, I think, you know, Ram Dass and, and his, our guru, Neem Karoli Baba, and those things were exactly what we would have said to you if you had said, what was your experience? So there's a universality to this big time. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's this one vast and infinite existence and we are all a part of. And so that longing is something, as Rumi said, we were born with. And he says it's very beautifully at the beginning of one of his um, larger works called the Masnavi. He normalizes this 
human um, dilemma, this human longing, this sense of separation. And he provides the antidote to that, which he says it's love. And he goes on for over 70,000 lines, just trying to point at what he means. This word love, <laughs> that we only have this one word in English, L-O-V-E, that just doesn't do justice. <laughs> to say the very least. Yes. To say the very least, oh, yes. So, okay, here, let me see. You are also, aside from your um, the teachings that come through you, Sufi teachings, I read, and I don't know, because everybody, I'm just meeting Puriya like you for the first time. And, uh, but you are also, uh, something that's close to you is Advait Vedanta, correct? Yes. Well, in terms of non-dual Puriya, it is a method, and the method is no subject object. You are already, you are that one. You just have to let go into being that one. Okay. I, I have a lot of, um, how should we say this? I take umbrage with this particular path, especially in the West, because it becomes something very intellectual and people uh, I have seen a lot of people who were not, unfortunately, uh, um, this was not authentic experience. They were way ahead of themselves in terms of being, you are already there. And I met, and I have met many people from Papaji uh, who I never met personally, but knew of quite well. And also, uh, you know, love Muji as well. You know, and I've had this dialogue with Muji on on a on a podcast, but more to the point is, as that is true, non-dual, no subject object. But then we read Rumi, and and the analogy that that uh, he uses: my slave does not cease to draw near to me with devotions of his own free will. So there's a whole thing about um, the attitude of the, of the seeker with the divine presence. Let's just put it that way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, there's a, a book that I had uh, on Rumi from Andrew Harvey. I don't know if you know the book. Um, and there's some interesting things that, uh, you know, around this, my slave does not cease to draw near to me with devotions of his own free will until I love him. So this to me is, this is like the most, um, dramatic relationship. I mean, my tradition and Ramdas is bhakti yoga, yoga of devotion. And so we're familiar with this subject object and um, but the extent at which Rumi's words represent this kind of a relationship to its nth degree has nothing. The slave, of course, is a terrible word to describe in a way because of everything that so is love, by the way. Um, 
so this seems like a giant chasm how you connect the the non-dual with this with uh, what rumi describes in in all of this uh, all of his sacred word well first of all the word slave is an english translation the original word in persian it's an extremely beautiful and humbling word kind of like the word yoga which means to yoke to be um so bande bande comes from the word band which means attached and yoked to so the word that you're reading it needs to be understood that it's an english translation mm. and usually um i respect andrew harvey a lot um, um but but usually uh, from the west when western scholars look at sufism or rumi's poetry they look through their judo christian lenses they look through um kind of it's it's a lot of the translations many of them do not know the original language they don't practice the actual spirituality so all of these actually do matter at the end of the day because if we were to have conversations over terminology then we would have to have all the wisdom to be able to have that but unfortunately we don't at the state that we're in so when we look at from the perspective of well, what Rumi speaks of, there's a couple of things here. One is the most important question on any path is to ask who is on the path. And by that, what I mean is that you can, you can, you can uh, provide any of the beautiful statements that Rumi says or Ramana Maharshi says or a lot of the stuff that make bumper stickers and Facebook memes these days like, we are one, love is all we need, and we all understand it, and we wear t-shirts about it, and we love it. But what's interesting is that when the ego, and I like to speak more to, to the ego as well in, from the Sufi perspective, and what Rumi refers to, from the perspective of ego, the ego hears it in one way. In the perspective of the heart and the soul, and when, 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 um, as you said earlier, neti, 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 when we go through the process of elimination and purification and pruning to that which we already are reveals itself naturally, then when that part of us hears it, hears it very differently. So that's one of the main points that I think a great teacher, before any student starts the path and during every moment of teaching, they would try to invite the recipient to be more in touch with their essence so then they can on the frequency and, and the right vibrations receive the true teachings in the transmission because the ego or the lower self or the identity or the personality it can have a field day with terminology and concepts and interfaith interspiritual com comparisons but rumi here is speaking to lovers those are who are like burning from the depth of their heart and they don't settle with anything until they find it and from that perspective you know for example in one of his famous poems um which coleman barks translated it and gave it the title uh, love dog you know rumi's original work does not have titles and uh, he omits a lot of the parts it's a little bit of a longer piece it's basically he says that that longing inside of you that calls out and pray 
that in itself is your prayer being answered. So he talks about the non-dual here. But because we are in this form, it's very clear that we have to also do the right action. We have to long, we have to yearn, we have to use this, our capital, everything that has been provided to us so freely, our breath, our, our moments in life, our heartbeats, in order to find the, the truth. So we have to show up and we have to do our work knowing that ultimately it's only grace. But we have to use the instruments. We have to use all the blessings that we have to focus it, just like we focus it on a lot of things in this world, on the material world. We focus a lot to add alphabets after our name and to add zeros to to our bank accounts and to achieve a lot of things. And all the saints and mystics are saying is that what would happen if you would just take a fraction of it and turn it back in and go into the core of who you are and rebuild your life from who you truly are? Because life is not a handful of decades just to figure out who you are. You are supposed to wake up so you could truly live this life here and now before the inevitable death uh, arrives. Mm. Going some kind of synthesis uh, is involved here. And I'm again relating to my own experience of uh, what uh, was handed down to us and what that lineage is. And it certainly does involve the yoga of devotion. So certainly involves subject object and using that longing to join to yoke at the same time having some uh perspective that uh is uh, connected with true wisdom and discriminate viveka they call it in india true discrimination and so on that 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 combination uh, becomes a little bit more authentic. I think that that's probably the best way to say it. So from that point of view, uh, I get it. I get it for you. Um, you know, something else. Talk about, um, I mean, as, as you have said, and as is, is obvious, this is not a bunch of poems from Rumi. This is a very measured, considered method with, full of different practices and perspectives to actually grow into that place where you find you can live from a true self, I mean, which is a, a good word. And um, so talk about his thing around you know, selflessness and what that really means for us when really we are caught in, in our meanness on, a, on, on such a vast basis, on a day-to-day basis, that it, we hardly ever peek out from behind that perspective. Even those who have been on the path, you know, decades and decades, and I know many of us that still have that issue, uh, where we cannot even peek out from behind our meanness. <laughs> That's a beautiful 
question that's um especially at a time where even our spiritualities and self-help modalities and a lot of psychotherapy it's a lot of about building the ego and building the identity and protecting it i mean i understand um one has to have a healthy enough ego to be able to function so then they can then maybe go beyond it you know in in islam there is no such thing as the death of the ego there is this beautiful transformation of the ego from from the baseness of it to its um being permeated with the divine fragrance and you can see all the mystics and saints and prophets had egos they had these personalities but they 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 smelled their fragrance of was of divine because the heart was the was the ruler so then the ego became refined and became beautiful and it became um functional in this life because we can't live um without it we can see that for example in concentration or meditation if we don't give the mind a, an object of attention you know or, or meditation the mind by itself just roams and that's its nature so then the question is what is it that we need to be able as rumi says it again and again and again which then is misunderstood and mistranslated kind of 800 years later by terms like spiritual bypassing or not being embodied and you have a huge wave of so-called spiritualists really uh really rooting for um more more of materialistic form worshiping body worshiping without without knowing what's going on maybe it needs to be a means to an end but but it, you know many people that i see get stuck on there is that to be truly selfless is to be able to have something so worthy so um passionately that gets our attention with so much love and devotion that when we bring all of our attention we don't there is no room there is no time and space to be so focused on the me 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 and me and so the question on the spiritual path for everyone uh is to assess their own practices and teachings and see what is it why are we so focused on ourselves and a lot of it is absolutely cultural like the acts of selflessness in other cultures are very natural that you learn them early on and when you do them you don't even recognize them let alone like make a facebook post and make sure everybody else hears about it it becomes extremely it's part of who you are and i think it's because maybe the culture the teachings and the spiritual teachings didn't focus so much on the the identity you did this this you that has to change on the surface it pointed to something deeper that for people like rumi was so intoxicating they were so consuming that it was natural um to to practice that divine humility and it was natural to not be so fixated and fascinated with this now from a western psychology when you say that people freak out 
people think you're talking about bypassing this and esoteric stuff and living wishy-woo-woo up in the air, but absolutely not. And that is why it's so important for individuals to investigate like scientists on their spiritual path, to truly study and do research from their heart and meet people from different cultures to truly see what someone said 800 years ago. It's not fair to kind of look back with what we know and the terminology and the jargons of the day to try to understand another culture, another spirituality from another time. Yeah. We have a, Puria, we have a film coming out. This is on my side of, that I do around the foundation as a director of Love, Serve, Remember. And we have a film coming out uh, that traces the arc of Ramdas's life and teachings. Beautiful film, be out uh, September 2019 here. Uh, and it's called Becoming Nobody. Okay. So it's yeah. a bit. And, and, and the whole thing really supports the whole film, that central idea. What does that mean? Who are we? And as you said before, need to have a pretty healthy ego to survive in this world. And you also said, which I like, hey, all of these masters and saints and whatevers, they all had personality. And I would say, as, uh, or Ramdas actually said it on, I'm taking his words at this point, that uh, they were just as neurotic as the rest of us, but they had no investment in any of it. And that points to what becoming nobody is. You, yeah. you know, the investment is gone. You have no longer uh, interested in me. There is only interest in what can I do for you? And in the film, Ram Dass goes, at some point you just say, okay, what do I want? What do I need? Mm-hmm. You know? And just the, the fact that you, uh, you see transparently how identified with, with the preferences and desires that you are. And I want, you know, and seeing through that is what you're talking about. Uh, in in terms of uh, the kind of wisdom that perhaps uh, non-duality can give you, to have that as a as a go-to card, even if it's just a bit of an up level, and spirit, people would say, "Well, it's spiritual bypassing. You're not dealing with the bullshit inside you." Uh, but at the same time, I think you need to do that. However, it is how whichever way you do do that. But at the same time even if it's not totally real, having uh, uh, that little up level that, wait a minute, we are totally connected with each other. Wait a minute. When I do start doing something uh, outside of my box uh, for somebody or something, whatever it may be, all the way to social action, things do really change. I mean, just think of how many times you might have been depressed, anybody out there, and then suddenly you get a phone call, somebody's in trouble, and you can do nothing but go help that person or situation. And suddenly, whatever you were in before is gone. That's how the reality of, of this of practice. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. 
Um, another thing, let's see. These are things I just picked up actually through Andrew's book uh, around uh, different ideas of how Rumi represented these different concepts. And one is, uh, so uh, a poem, anywhere you find a lullaby, leave. <laughs> Safety is final danger. When you come across a storyteller, know a house is being destroyed. I mean, that's fabulous. I mean, I'm not, again, I bow to you, of course, relative to the, uh, to the actual translations. I have no idea where he got them, but uh, do you know that particular small poem? Uh, I, you know, 70,000 lines of yeah, poetry right. <laughs> when there are no references. I mean, I highly respect Andrews, actually. I know Andrew personally. I oh, love you him do. Uh -huh. to death, but I can't, you know, Rumi's poems are not such that you go like, oh, it's that one number, this and this, because they're being translated. But, but what I do know is that Andrew, Andrew translates from the heart. And yes, that's what Rumi is speaking of it goes back to who uh who is on this path because the ego loves to be on the spiritual path and you know rumi calls us you know calls us the, the humans uh, that are still struggling of uh, form worshipers you know in a way the entire spirituality we can say is a journey from form to inner meaning everything starts with a form the prayer has a form the path has a seeming, you know, there's, a, there's a form there, there's a form of the teacher, the guru, everything has a form, but with spiritual maturity and with grace and with, with an amazing authentic teacher, what happens is that everything is still there, but our view, our understanding go beyond the form and we get to see the inner meaning of things, which the art of discernment is one of those tools that we learn through the spiritual maturity through grace and through the, the teachings of a real teacher. So then what happens is that who is on the path when the ego that is fascinated with being on a spiritual journey is on the path and we're still fascinated and we only see what these two little balls in our skull sees and we haven't cultivated insight, then we look for forms. Then even the spiritual paths or the teachers that we choose are only based on the forms. Like if we like the form of a certain teacher or he or she giggles in a certain way, then the ego and that form is attracted to it without really seeing through the art of discernment if there is truth there or not. And so Rumi says it beautifully through Andrew's translation that be aware. The teaching of finding the real teacher and that true uh, false prophets do exist. Plus, who do you hang out with? Who are your friends? Use discrimination and discernment are huge on this path. And so therefore, uh, he says, be careful. Life is short. Life is precious. If someone is catering to your ego and is telling you exactly what you want to hear and kind of like a little lullaby, <laughs> run away. <laughs> run as fast as you can. Because this has happened also, um, not only in our spirituality, in our psychotherapy, in our self-help, we can see from the 60s and the 70s that right now, basically, um, people pay one another to be cuddled. 
people pay one another to be told that they are perfect as they are. And we uh, don't know what the uh, sense of a true teacher or a true friend is anymore, because this path is not a path of just being in a state of bliss. This is a path for those who do want to die, who do want to burn away, who do want to go through many deaths so they can find that true, true one and only life and, 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 and live it once and for, for all. So, um, and it's very clear in the teachings that it's not for everyone. Rumi says this path is not for the um, glass-bottled egos. You know, kind of like those of us who are born to be constantly offended. Actually, the, the teacher that offends us, the friend that tells us exactly what we need to hear, those are the true teachers. But if I want this identity and personality to feel really good and be in a state of bless and turn the entire spirituality into achieving mm. some happiness that includes less suffering, it's a very, it's a very mature kind of um, way of looking at the potential of what they are offering us here. So, yes, many modalities, many people, many things around us, if you pay attention, are just singing lullabies, and we are just going further in sleep. Uh, even at times when we might think we are on a spiritual path and evolving. So it requires brutal honesty and it requires true mirrors around us because a true guru can never be seen. We only see in him or her our own self. That's because they're so empty and they're so pure. And that is why many people have issues and struggles with their teachers. Or even if we look at it collectively, the way we project upon the prophets of the past or the mystics of the past, it shows more about who we are and who they truly were. Very good point, that is, because uh, that's a gigantic problem in the West, because we so easily just open ourselves up in a way that's inappropriate given that we aren't doing the kind of self-investigation that we need to be doing. Um, I, I, I guess uh, I would only say that, <laughs> all I say is, thank God, you know, thanks to the divine presence that I am to me, happened, there's no happened, that he grabbed me, Neem Karoli Baba, and I could, everything you say was just transparent from the first second, and I understood that, and uh, this is just, you know, extraordinarily fortunate. And of course, Ramdas coming back to America after he uh, met him and, and shared all of what he shared in those days, uh, late 60s, early 70s, was the start of it. He's still doing it to this day, uh, it, which is pretty amazing on its own. Um, so uh, again, I... Aside from the reality of who this particular being is, um, aside from the reality of many different teachers who, you know, and, and as it is known in the East, a teacher points the way, a true guru is the way. And, and those true gurus, for the most part, uh, they are teaching by virtue of their being. They are not writing books. They are not doing anything like that. And um, but I do believe 
you know, what we're getting at here in this podcast, Puria, that I'm really enjoying is is the coming. It's the, my original question at the beginning of the podcast around how do you how do you fit non-duality and your interest therein with the radical love, as Omid calls it, of of Sufism. I mean, radical is a good word. I love, you know, that's his podcast, uh, and I love that. And uh, the, I think we really are getting somewhere in terms of the, um, the way in which these two traditions, if they're blended in, in the correct way with the correct attitude, perspective, intention, and so on, um, is, is, a, is a formative, formidable path. True, true. As you said, when, when, when in practice we can see the unity between them, because from my perspective, um, I'm not interested in the you know, um, comparative this and that, and I try my best to stay um, in the translations and in the courses that I offer through Footprints of Rumi or the public speaking that I do or the conferences or retreats or whatever I try my best not to um, do that because um, what happens is it, 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 it robs, of, robs us of, of truly understanding what was being said by um, adding um, lenses from different pers- perspectives on them. But, but for me, uh, the essence of what we call non-duality and the essence of this path of Sufism, I mean, it, it reaches that unity. That is, that is the goal. And then again, the ego might want to say, like, you know, I am already one. Well, great. But we can also look at the world we've created. But, but the Sufis teach that you become one because if you were one, you wouldn't be uttering you are, you are one. And so that is the goal. The total annihilation is the goal. The total not being, the nobodiness is the goal. And when we arrive there, the paradox is, is that there we have everything. We are everyone, but the then and there. And in this spiritual either amnesia or um, indigestion of the different spiritual things that we're going, we're going through currently in this, in, in this life is that this fast foodness of it as well is that we, our intellect loves, loves it and we stay on that intellectual level, unfortunately. And so a true embodiment on the spiritual path is to chew and digest and marinate these. You know, I always felt ever since teenage years, just having read a little bit and being exposed to Sufi teachings, that at the end of the day, all I really needed was one sentence, one teaching, one verse to wake up. But that lack of focus and that spiritual ADHD that we have doesn't allow us to really with love and commitment and single-mindedness go deep into the heart of something. Therefore, then it, it elongates it and then turns it into, then we have the multi-billion dollar spiritual infrastructure and creates that. It turns it into this lifelong journey. But when you're hungry or you're thirsty or when you're in love, you don't have time for anything. You're not going to wait around for anything. You grab 
the, the first food that you can or dig the ground for water or you'll have sleepless nights thinking about your beloved because you want that union. So the mystics, including Rumi, they remind us of that fire that is already inside of us that might have lost its, its direction, has gone a little bit this way. And it's like if you turn it around, metanoia, which is the root word of the word repentance, which in the West has negative connotations, that word, but in its essence and including in Sufism, it's a turning around. It's, 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 a, it's a homecoming. And that's what really mindfulness, heartfulness, living, being present here and now, be here and now is all about. It's a constant coming back to see that, wow, that fire is really here. And through devotion, like bhakti, through zikr, prayer, and all the beautiful spiritual practices that we've been gifted, all of those are just means to an end, not for them to become another form for us to get attached to. They're like blowing on this fire, making sure it doesn't go out. Because the fire is from the one. And if we just keep it alive, it will wash, wash everything away or burn everything that is not us away. Yay. Amen. <laughs> uh, one last little thing, because I guess to me this, I identify here more with this particular, um, these words from Rumi, ignorant men are the soul's enemy. Shatter the jar of smug words. Cling for life to those who know. Prop a mirror in water and it rusts. And so this whole thing, uh, cling to those who you know. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I I just, you know, that, that image of clinging to the enlightened one's feet, it's, it's, that gives you the, uh, the uh, gives you any chance to end the tyranny of me, me, me is to me extraordinarily important. And I have to say, uh, it is not necessary to meet the, have those physical feet in front of you. Mm -hmm. And is Rama, Rama, we've been talking a little bit about Ramana Maharshi, God, Guru, Self are one, which is again, uh, really uh, his combination of, of devotion, non-duality, really. And so it, but it is that can be grasped through the heart. Those feet can be grasped through the heart. They don't necessarily need to be physical. If so hap, that's so, you know, I was just talking to, uh, the other day with one of my friends who was with us back in the day around Neem Karoli Baba. And we were with people who were asking, what was that like? All that kind of stuff. And you know, uh, ultimately we said, you know, really, we recognize now that those of us that got there and had had the, the physicality of such a, a being were so ignorant, so very ignorant that they needed that kind of hammer over the head to wake up. I mean, that there can be no other explanation. I mean, there is a whole other level of someone like Ramdas coming back and doing what he has done and, and the kind of sharing and creation of trust uh, 
for sure. But um, yeah. Spending. That's a very beautiful, that's, that's true wisdom and humility right there because, because um, the person wants to feel so special, especially on a spiritual path and people fight over who's going to be closer to the guru and who's going to sit next to the teacher and yeah. all of that funny yeah. stuff that you, you know what I'm talking about here. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> um, but what it is, the, the humility is that Yes, maybe there is a specialness in one hand, but that has nothing to do with us. It's the specialness of grace showering upon us because it is like winning the lottery, what has happened to you and Ram Das and Krishna Das and so many, so many others. There's no doubt about that. I mean, from my humble experience, looking at this impermanent world, like that is, that is the real thing. That is the juicy stuff. That is what I was born to be at the presence of such feet and in, in, in those, and at the same time, you know, in, in, in Sufism, at the same time, with humility, one recognizes that maybe those that are very close really needed it the, the most, which brings humility. And also at the same time, it shatters a lot of projections that people have around spiritual communities and ashrams and churches because. People go and see people attending a place and wearing certain things, and they, we automatically project upon them that they have arrived, they are already spiritual, but not really. <laughs> because I always say this example that, you know, who goes to the hospital? Those that are sick, those who need to find balance and equilibrium, whose health are not in balance, they go to the hospital to find balance. And there are a couple of some doctors and some nurses, but the majority of us go there. And uh, what is the difference between that and the spiritual groups? It's the same thing. We need that which we are seeking. That's why we come together. And this understanding, this humility will, will get rid of a lot of suffering, un unnecessary suffering that is created by our projections that they should know better people, people in this community should all be enlightened and all of that stuff will go to the side and it will open up energy for us to really go in and with that single-minded devotion and love and bhakti just sit at the door of the heart until it opens up and as rumi said he did it he knocked and knocked and knocked and then when it opened he realized he was inside all along but he realized that after sitting at the door and knocking and knocking then he realized that. Yeah. For him to have realized something, and for Poria, 800 years later, take what he realized and run with it, is not mm. the way. Mm. The best Rumi can do for Poria is for Poria to become contemplative and go, how did this, these mystics reach what they did? What did they do? When there was no Google, when there was no globalization for us to have access to so much wisdom, there were, there were no books in universities. And it brings humility, brings the art of discernment, and reintroduces re uh, me to this fire of longing inside of my heart. It simplifies everything. And I just sit at the door of the heart. And then the rest is grace, as we all know. Mm, yeah. Uh, one day, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji said to us, uh, just do what you do and wait for grace. Something like that. 
which is what you just said. Yeah. Okay. Last, like one last little poem I got to read for you. And by the way, everybody out there, we will have all the links so you can catch up with Puria through what he's doing. And I know you do lots of different things uh, in around the country, maybe around the world that I'm not sure. Right. You do. Yes. Yeah. Um, through my school, Footprints of Rumi. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we'll have all of that and also some uh, connectivity to some of the books. Obviously, the most famous would be Coleman Barks, right? His, uh, his uh, translations. His translations were the most uh, famous, but now a new wave of, of, of um, a little bit more of an authentic translations by mm. those who speak the language and most importantly, right. those who practice it are resurfacing right and one i found i don't know if you know this man uh and and spell uh, the pronunciation is beyond me uh nader khalili does that ring a bell yes and he of course speaks the language so uh all right this this is the essence of everything as far as i'm concerned <laughs> from him well, it's one of a little prism, but this one, you know, that's how it is, right? Something just hits you as an individual and does something, yeah. right? And any, every, the beauty of how every individual is so different. I can't let you know all the secrets, Rumi writes. I can't let you know all the secrets. I can't open to you all the doors. There is something inside that makes me happy, but I can't put my finger on its source. Talk about simplicity and authenticity. And uh, there isn't anyone listening or Puria or myself who could ever say anything but yes, I know that. And once you know that, then it's just a matter of trust. You trust that. And then from there, you just launch yourself into, you know, into the point where you are relating more from a perspective of, of soul, as Ram Dass calls it, loving awareness per- perspective rather than uh, ego, mind uh, stuff. So beautiful. Great to meet you, Purya. Likewise. So wonderful to spend this sacred virtual time and space with you and thank you for inviting me to your family and i look forward to more of this conversation yes yes. what we say so that the spiritual dialogue between lovers of god yeah and we hope to to have a, a physical meeting as well one of these days and i'm sure we will so everybody, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And don't forget about Omid Safi, who we've mentioned in this podcast, who's absolutely every, he's like honey dripping. You want to hear honey dripping through a podcast? Go to Omid's uh, podcast, Radical Up. And we will see you all next week on Mind Rolling.